I don't think the Apostle Paul could ever have imagined doing church by Zoom. In fact, probably none of us could have imagined doing this uh, up to last year. But although so many things have changed, so many things remain the same. We're still called to believe in and belong to Jesus. We're still called to express his love to each other. Submit to his lordship in every aspect of our lives. Serve as he has enabled us to reach out with the gospel. So this morning we're going to start looking at a a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. In it, Paul taught this local church about who they were and how they should live. And although the world in which they lived was so dramatically different from ours, the issues that they faced are still incredibly relevant to us. So in this letter, Paul will touch on such contemporary issues like division, intolerance of diverse opinions, celebrity culture, spiritual elitism, gender controversies, sexual immorality, marriage, singleness, divorce, materialism, and a whole host of other ones. But throughout it all will be a call to the people to be the people that God has called us to be. Throughout it, we'll see that we are called to be the church of God. So this morning, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're just going to read the first nine verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 through to 9. From Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be saints with all those in every place who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. For you were made rich in every way in him, in all your speech and in every kind of knowledge, just as the testimony about Christ has been confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Corinth was a large Roman colony in Greece. Its population was about a quarter of a million people, and it was very diverse, eh, drawn from different races and from different districts in the Roman Empire. It was also a wealthy city, eh, being an important port on major trade routes. And it was also a very religious city. Dominating it was the Acrocorinth, a hill in which stood the large temple to uh, Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. But it was also a deeply immoral city. 
Each evening, a thousand sacred prostitutes from that temple came down into the city and plied their trade on the streets. In fact, Corinth had such a bad reputation that the Greeks said that to live a life of depravity was to Corinthianize. And this was a city that Paul, the apostle, ministered to on his second missionary journey. It was a really difficult mission, but God worked in power to establish a church there. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God, as it says in Acts chapter 18. In the end, Paul had to leave that city to continue on his mission, but that church remained close to his heart. So from Ephesus, on Paul's third missionary journey, Paul wrote them a letter. A letter which we don't have anymore. It's not been preserved. But then Paul heard from others that this church had serious problems. It was really struggling over some issues. There were problems of division and of disorder, as well as difficulties about specific issues that had divided opinions. And so Paul wrote this letter that we've started reading this morning to this church to try to address these matters. And in all of his New Testament letters, Paul started here by following the convention of the day when it came to writing letters. So he wrote the names of the writers, the names to whom the the letter was addressed to, a word of greeting, And an expression of thanks. But as Paul often did, in this opening, which is just like the customary way to open a letter, but in it, Paul laid the foundation of what he was going to further on tell and teach in that letter. So let's have a look at this opening together this morning. Verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. Now Sosthenes was possibly the synagogue ruler in Corinth that was beaten up by the Corinthians when the Jews rose up to attack Paul. And it seems that maybe this guy then later on trusted in Jesus and became part of Paul's ministry team and wrote this letter probably as his scribe. But the true author of this letter was Paul. And he'd been called by God to be an apostle. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. That meant that he was a a messenger, personally commissioned and authorised and sent by Jesus himself to teach the good news. And that is really crucial to understand here. Because it meant that what Paul wrote here comes with authority. These words here that we are going to be reading, they're not just Paul's opinion, or Paul's ideas, or Paul's understanding, or even just a reflection of Paul's culture. This is God's word. And so to reject what Paul writes here, is actually to reject Jesus. This is what Jesus said when he sent out the 72. 
uh, 72 messengers that he sent out into the districts in, in Israel. He said this, he who listens to you, listens to me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And that was really important for the Corinthians to accept. Because, as we'll see in Corinth, there were some people who were challenging Paul, challenging his authority, challenging his ministry and what he taught. But this is equally important for us to accept. Because there there is lots in this letter that people today would criticise, would question, would condemn. Many people want to just dismiss the things that, that Paul says here as the ignorant opinion of a first century man who was just influenced by his background and his culture. But we need to accept this as the Thessalonians accepted Paul's teaching. Not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. As Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 13. Chapter 2, sorry, verse 13. But Paul wasn't the only one who had been called by God here. He addressed his letter to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy. Now that's an amazing statement. As we'll go through this letter, we'll see that this church had huge problems. They were a mess of jealousy, of quarrelling, of lawsuits and immorality and greed and pride and doubt. And Paul wrote this letter because those issues were serious and they had to be sorted out. They had to be resolved. But despite all of this mess, Paul didn't lose sight of this church's true identity. Despite all of the problems, despite all of the mess, they were the church of God in Corinth. This word church here is the Greek word ecclesia, which means a company or a gathering of people that have been called out. So this messed up and mixed up group were actually the community of God's people whom God had called out of Corinth to belong to himself. They were saints. That's what the word actually means here. Down in verse 2, the the literal translation of called to be holy is to call to be saints. They were God's holy people. They'd been sanctified. They'd been set set apart from this world and set apart to belong to God. But this wasn't something that they'd achieved through their own actions or through their own efforts or through their own commitment. This wasn't something that they could take credit for or kind of pat themselves on the back for. Paul wrote here in verse 4, 
I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. His grace given you. Their new identity was a gift of God's grace. Yes, they were among those who call on the name of the Lord. These guys had heard the message that Paul had preached to them, and they'd responded by repenting of their sins and putting their faith in Jesus. (coughs) Excuse me. And the gospel declares that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this is the confidence that we have this morning. If you have not yet trusted in Jesus, then you can call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. If you put your faith in Jesus and put your faith in in his death on the cross for your sins, then you will be forgiven. You will be declared righteous in God's sight. You will be adopted into his family. You will be rescued from this world. You will belong to God. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But just like with Paul's apostleship, we will only call on the Lord in response to God's prior call on us. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 6 verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me except unless the Father who sent me draws him. Yes, these believers had called on the name of the Lord. But this was only possible because God had first of all called them. This is what Paul again says in verse 9. God has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When these guys were still sinners, when they were still powerless, when they were still hopeless, God called them into the joy and the privilege of knowing Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. And they hadn't earned this. They hadn't worked for this. They hadn't deserved this because of being good or doing good works or anything else. This was just the outrageous gift from God, the God who loved them and gave his son to save them. But this wasn't just a truth for Paul to rejoice and to praise God for. This was also a truth that should challenge this church to live for God. As we'll see later on in this letter, Paul called these Christians to live differently from their culture. He called them to stand against the pressure and the temptations all around them. They were to live holy lives. 
But this was not for them to try to become something that they were not. Instead, this this was just about living out who they already were. So, for example, in chapter 6, Paul writes this, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. And this is what the Christian life is about. It is not about trying to become something that we're not. Rather, it's about living out who we already are in Christ. It's about living for God because we already belong to God. It's about being different from this world because we already are citizens of heaven. It's about serving Christ because we've already been saved by Christ. It's about laying down our lives as a sacrifice to God. Because we've been so graciously redeemed by God through the sacrifice of his son. Despite all the problems in this church, Paul wanted them to know who they were so that they could live out this identity each day. Now, of course, that wouldn't be easy for them to do especially in a culture that was so far removed from God's standard of holiness. But as the church of God, they could be encouraged that God had not only called them to be his holy people, he'd also provided them with everything that they needed to do this, to live this reality out in their everyday lives. So Paul's greeting in verse 3 was, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It was God's grace, his unmerited, his undeserved favour that had brought them into this church. And it was God's grace that could continue, that would continue to equip them to live as the church and experience true peace. Not just reconciliation with God, but also true unity with each other and also harmony within themselves. And this fullness of grace and peace came to them from God because God loved them so much that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for their sins, as I've just remembered in our time of communion. And this is the resource that we can depend on in our lives too. Folks, we can't live as God's holy people on our own strength. We can't do this and stand against all the pressure and the temptations of this world just because we get, we get just grit our teeth and, and keep going. But through God's grace and peace, We can increasingly allow God to transform us and enable us to live as he's called us to. And one of the crucial ways that he does this is through the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to every believer. 
So verse 5 says, For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking, and in all your knowledge. Now this church, it came from a culture that was impressed by people who were strong, who were clever, who were inspiring, who were successful. And so when it came to spiritual gifts that God gives to each the, each believer through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives these gifts to each believer to enable them to serve in his church. When it came to those gifts, they tended to be impressed with the spectacular gifts and kind of ignored the less dramatic ones. But this was a problem. It meant that some gifts were overlooked, even though they were crucial for this church's growth and maturity. But it also meant that they were vulnerable to those false teachers who came into their church with spectacular signs and with an eloquent message. And the church today still faces the same temptation. Our our celebrity culture is still drawn to those who could use stirring speech and supernatural power. Churches can still be drawn away from the truth by those who preach impressively on YouTube or those who claim to regularly be able to see miracles in their lives. Now, Paul dealt with this in more detail in chapter 12 to 14, but here he was just laying the foundation for this by telling the church that they didn't need to go looking for those impressive speakers or those spectacular gifts. That was because, even though no individual believer is fully equipped, no individual believer has all the gifts that they need, But together in Christ, this community had already been given everything that they needed. They didn't need to go looking for something else or for someone else. Because as Paul said in verse 7, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And this is what Paul had already taught them when he was with them. And this is what they had already experienced in their life. This is what Paul says in verse 6. Our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. They had already experienced the sufficiency of Christ. They'd already seen that who Christ is and what Christ gives us is enough for every situation. So they didn't need to go looking for other people. They didn't need to be vulnerable to those people who would come in and say, look at me, I'm I'm amazing. Because they had Christ. And in Christ they had everything they needed. And we need that same encouragement today, I think. It's not easy to live as God's holy people. We often feel weak. And inadequate in this situation. 
But we don't need to go looking for the latest craze in the Christian world. We don't need to look up the latest celebrity teacher or spiritual guru. Because we can rest in the reality that in Christ, we are the church of God. And through his spirit, he has equipped us to live for him. So Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need because we are in Christ. So despite all of the problems in this church, in Corinth, Paul was sure that they'd been called by God uh, to be his church and they had been equipped by God to live as his church. And because of this, Paul could say a startling statement here in these opening verses. Verse 8. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of Christ Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we've worked through this letter, we'll see just how incredible this statement is. These people had so many problems. They were failing in so many ways. They were getting so many things wrong. And yet Paul could look forward to in confidence to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day of of Jesus' return, which Paul will talk about in detail in chapter 15 of this letter. Paul was sure that on that day, when Jesus returns for his people, this church would be blameless. They would not be guilty. They would not be condemned. No charge against them would stand. Instead, just like with every other believer, they would be transformed to be like Christ and to be with him forever. So how could Paul be so confident? Did he not realise how messed up these Christians really were? Was he deluded about their ability? Or was he just being kind of overly optimistic about it? Well, not at all. Instead, this is because he knew that God had promised to keep them strong. God had promised to sustain them throughout their lives. God had promised to hold on to them and God had promised never to let them go. And as he said in verse 9, Paul knew that God is faithful. God keeps his promises. And this is the confidence that we can have today in our lives. No matter how weak 
or messed up we might feel, no matter how overwhelming the challenges we might face, no matter how difficult the circumstances in which we live, our God is faithful. What he begins in our lives, he will complete. This is what Paul says in this wonderful verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so if we put our faith in Jesus, today we are the church of God. And God has called us to belong to him. He has set us apart as his holy people. And God has equipped us to live for him. Together he has given us the gifts that we need to grow and to build each other up. And God will sustain us to remain with him. He will not give up on us. He will not turn away from us. He has chosen us. He has called us. He has justified us. And he will glorify us with Christ. This is who we are. And this is what God will do for his honour and for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. Thank you so much for these amazing truths that we've seen already in, in this short introduction into this letter, Lord. Thank you that you have called us to belong to you. Thank you, Father, that you have you have chosen us to be your holy people, Lord. Not because of anything in us, Lord. Not because of anything that we have done. Not because of anything that we've deserved, Lord. You have called us by your grace. Through our faith in the Lord Jesus, the one who died for us on the cross to pay for our sins and declare us righteous in your sight. Lord, thank you that you've called us to belong to you, to be your church today. And Lord, thank you that you, because of that, you have called us to, to live for you as your holy people, Lord. And we are so aware of the, the challenge of that, how overwhelming our circumstances seem to be in that, Lord, how weak and inadequate we feel. And yet, Lord, thank you that you have equipped us as a, as a community of your people to live for you each day, to enable us to serve you, enable us to, to fulfill your plan and your purpose in our lives. Lord, help us to hold on to that truth. Help us to believe in that truth. But Lord, we thank you so much that you have promised, not not only you've called us and you've, you've equipped us, but you will sustain us. You will keep us strong until the end. That you have begun this good work in, in us and you are com- continuing this, this good work in us and you will complete this work. And one day you will take us to be with you And that we will be like Christ because we'll see him as he is. 
Lord, thank you for that amazing confidence that you give us today. Help us to allow that truth to impact our hearts, to cause us to rejoice, to cause us to praise you this morning. And Lord, help us to let it to inspire us and empower us to go out and to live for you today and for this week. For your honour and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.